We've recently had a global movement. 90% of Gen Zs supported that movement called Black Lives Matter. And beyond just Black Lives Matter, I think any brown, black human on the planet, lives matter. Instagram was the largest platform after Twitter used to amplify and support impact and advocacy. Both of these ladies have utilized that platform to amplify their messaging. Being African today is synonymous with three words, freedom, liberation, and justice. This is our second ever live for the podcast. Um, and often I'm happy doing this behind my computer. And now we're having to do it in front of people. So uh, it takes a, a little bit of getting used to, for me anyway. Um, other than that, we've done it in person, one-on-one. -on -one, uh, and this is completely different. Uh, thank you to everyone who's tuned in for this episode on My Muse. And everyone who's listening on everything else. Um, this episode is one that's near and dear to my heart. And when I sat down and mapped out what we wanted for season three, what was important for me, especially with the show in season three, was to focus on what happens when you choose to use your story, your authentic story, and turn up as yourself. And I drew up a list. And of that list, I had three amazing ladies who, unfortunately, today, one of them couldn't be here, so this episode is brought to you with two amazing ladies, um, both of whom I respect their work, and I believe their work is purposeful and is definitely shifting the needle on our culture. We've recently had a global movement. 90% of Gen Zs supported that movement called Black Lives Matter. And beyond just Black Lives Matter, I think, any brown, black human on the planet, lives matter. Instagram was the largest platform after Twitter used to amplify and support impact and advocacy. Both of these ladies have utilized that platform to amplify their messaging. Being African today is synonymous with three words, freedom, liberation, and justice. Social media and broadcasting influences help shape how we see ourselves and the views we have on any given topic. 23% of social media users have changed their views about a political or social issue because of something they saw on social media in the past year. That leads me to introducing my guests. My first guest is an award-winning journalist, writer, columnist at Marie Claire, philanthropist, broadcaster, TV and social media personality, founder of Jewel Tones Beauty, and the Dr. Ate Jewel Education Foundation, and a mother, Dr. Ate Jewel. Hello, everyone. I'm a bit emotional. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> My second guest is a creative, writer, poet, artist, teacher, designer, mother, social media personality, AKA Momfluenza, a writer at Mother and Baby, an empowerment coach, breastfeeding advocate, and mental health advocate, Shanine Sally. 
Hi everyone. I'm so glad that you're all here. <laughs> Thank you for the audience participation. That, that makes it really exciting. Sorry for those uh, tuning in in their ears who can't hear it, but we're having a riot here. I think oftentimes we wonder, as children actually, when we first discover we have a voice, and that voice has a purpose, it can either inflame, influence, inspire, or downright send a whole movement on a playground. Over the years, each individual gets to think about how that voice shapes who they are and those around them. I think for both ladies here, finding their voice came at different times and in different ways. I think Ate, you know, you've gone from being a beauty writer at Vogue to Glamour, The Guardian, The Financial Times, The Telegraph. The list is really long. Gosh, when I was researching, I was like, <laughs> where have you not been? I worked hard. <laughs> but often your career started with amplifying other people's stories and telling their stories. At what point do you feel like in your career, and I'm, and I'm jumping ahead, I tend to do that actually with, with when there's two people as opposed to one, but at what point in your career did you feel like you found your voice? Honestly, it was COVID and Black Lives Matter. I was just saying, it was in the beginning of COVID when we all thought we were in a, a Netflix horror film and we all thought we we're going to all die, this is the end of civilization. I had a massive awakening of, you know what, if we're gonna go down, I'm gonna go down swinging, I'm gonna be me. And it gave me so much permission. It was scary, it was frightening, but I was like, if this is the end, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be polite. Mm. And then Black Lives Matter happened and it just gave voice and it amplified all the things that I had been feeling, all the sort of lunchtime conversations with friends who got it. And then suddenly the whole world was having the same conversations and sort of, it was very empowering. And I just, you know, in my 20 year career, I've always been pushing for more diversity, inclusivity, but it was always sort of a polite, please could we, you know, can I write an article about curly hair? And they're like, no, it's not aspirational, it's not luxurious. That's what it was always met with. And I always wore black. If you can see me today, that's very hard to believe because I'm dripping in color. But my daughter said to me, mommy, you always wore gray, 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 old gray lady. And I said, this is the color of power, it's so chic. Children are brutal, man. They tell the truth. And then after COVID and after a couple of years, you know, past two years, I've just started exploding with being more of who I am, which is colorful and happy and joyful. And then she said to me, you see, mama, you don't have to hide anymore. Poignant. Wow. So, you know, there was a form of hiding or, or not hiding, but turning the volume down so I could fit in. I, I think um, <clears throat> there's been the terminology code switching um, that has sort of popularized itself. And I'm not sure at what point I learned to code switch. Um, I can't recall exactly when that was, but I think each of us at one point realizes that your voice needs to be tempered in some way. Uh, Shanine, you, you openly have used your voice in various forms, and, and as, as is you, Ate, um, and your beginning started with poetry yeah. and, and writing. What gave you permission in your mind at the time to begin with poetry as opposed to 
where you are now, which we'll, we'll get to later on in the episode. When I began, my intention was really just to express myself. And I felt like my brain is always so active and there's always some, some number of things that are switched on. But whenever I'm writing poetry, it kind of just flows out like it's meant to be. It's like a waterfall and that's the only thing that's coming out and it just feels so good. And I had been writing a lot of poetry when I became a mum because that really changes you and it changes all of life. And I just was trying to figure it out. And I had so many poems that I sent some to a friend and she was like, you really need to put these into a book and get that out there like immediately because this is going to help so many mums. And I was like, mm, okay, I'll do it then. And I wasn't entirely sure, um, but it was just always a form of self-expression that allowed everything to come out and I can touch on really vulnerable topics such as my mental health when it's in a really bad state or really beautiful topics such as experiencing ecstasy without taking ecstasy just because I am in such a beautiful moment with my children so yeah that's where it came from. Amazing. Ate, you, you um, <clears throat> have transitioned from writing um, into being in front of the camera, so from hiding grey old lady, <laughs> <laughs> to quote your daughter, yeah. um, brutal man, yeah. um, to now being in front of the camera. And I think for most people who follow you, you're very open about your, and both of you actually, um, but you're very open about body image and where that sits. and. Often where we've had the ideal being a shape or physique that doesn't necessarily always sit within the space of a black woman because generally we are curvier, our bones are built differently, our skin is darker, and you've been in a position now where as a what would be considered a more normal looking black woman being in front of the TV how have you found navigating those spaces, being on morning TV, for instance? So from going behind the desk, writing the stories, to now being in front of the camera. Very liberating, and where I, I feel I should have always been, you know, but I don't think the world was ready for me. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to say it, 20 years ago. And um, I feel very lucky and blessed that I am in a, in a time where everything has aligned, where I can be in front of the TV, I can be myself, I can be celebrated for who I am. I mean, growing up, I had all the messaging of be as tiny as you can be, you know, you won't, you're not enough, you're not loved unless you're a size whatever. And we all grew up with that. We've all been programmed, you know, who, when you look in media, when you look, you know, around your peers, people who are successful are smaller. And in so many ways, you are told, especially as a woman, to make everything smaller, your voice, your body, your opinions, your, your, you know, everything. And I think in a funny way, I kind of rebelled and went the other way and like became like a very sugar, like workaholic, addicted to sugar. And I always had a drive of like, oh really, I'll show you. And so I worked so hard and I, you know, I became the Beyonce of beauty. And so you sure did, that's how I met you. <laughs> where, to the point where it was ridiculous not to hire me because I was the best at my job. And it really didn't matter what the size of my, my butt was. <laughs> it was about the quality of my work. Um, so, 
it's been a very interesting journey of going to so, sort of extremes. And now I'm 44, I'm finding, I'm trying to find peace and balance by loving my body. I don't have to hit the sugar so I can work 18, 19 hours a day. It was my go-go juice. Yeah. And it's about being peaceful and loving. And I probably, you know, a happy size for me is probably like a 16. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's like my goal size and I've, you know, a few stone off that. But it's about loving yourself and being happy and peaceful and knowing that you're enough. And I don't think that's the message that I was brought up with. I, I, I was going to go into, um, I guess, early years. And at, at what point were you conscious that you, you weren't subscribing to this image? Because it happens for all of us at a particular point. You know, I, I think... Um, in an episode with Shanine, you know, I, I shared that, you know, for the first time, my daughter, who's four, has had to understand her identity and how different she is. And, and, and that's a very young age to be faced with something that complex. And as a mother, I found it even more challenging to help a four-year-old navigate, why is my hair different? Why am I different from my friends at school? For you, at, at what age, you have sort of a mixed heritage in, in your parents, Caribbean and Nigerian. Now, growing up between those two households, while there will be subtle, subtle differences, were you aware of that early on or did that come much later? Well, my parents divorced when I was eight and I remember like... My mum, you know, there was a lot of things came out in the divorce, but like, <laughs> I remember my mum was like, oh, and they think I'm this. You know, they regarded my parents' marriage as a mixed marriage because my mum was from Trinidad. She's a black woman, but they, would, they considered it a mixed marriage and all that toxic nonsense that came with it. So I grew up with that. But I mean, for me, I love film. I love, you know, I've, like my loves have been beauty, film and history. And I remember watching The Sound of Music and being like, la, 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 la. I don't look like these people. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then I remember watching Gone with the Wind. Yeah, exactly. And watching Gone with the Wind, which is one of my favorite movies. And I remember like, you know, the scene where Mammy is pulling Scarlett's corset. And I'm like, all the people who look like me are in service. They're economically, socially depressed. They're, you know, you know, so growing up watching film and loving films, everyone who looked like me was either a hooker or some kind, or, you know, not in a position of power. And that was exactly the opposite of what I grew up with. My mum's a very powerful person. My dad was a diplomat, very powerful person. So it was a huge conflict. And I think from a very early age, I was like, that isn't, that's not the truth and I need to sort that out. I, that's what I've always had that. Shanine, um, similar to Ate, um, your parents are from two different parts of the continent, so Rwanda and Nigeria. Was your experience similar to that in terms of knowing the differences within your home even before you got outside? I would say, for me personally, no, because my earliest memory of thinking about where I was from. I was in nursery and it was international day. And they said, well, where, where are you from? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> and they said, well, where's, where's your dad from? I said, I, I think he's Jamaican. He listens to reggae. And so they got me to paint a Jamaican flag. And I took it home to him and he was like, what's this? And I was like, it's your flag. And he's like, no, we're Nigerian. And I was like, oh, now I know. And that, that, was, that was the first instance of me kind of questioning and understanding 
because I, I think I went to a, a school that was quite mixed and it was just people were people and it, it, it wasn't a question before then until somebody actually came and asked me, so. Oftentimes we wonder um, about defining ourselves um, and you both have shared quite candidly about, I guess, key moments in, in, in your journey. Moving into a more mainstream space where you have success behind both of your belts, at what point did you understand the nuances of what your voice meant beyond you, how that influenced your culture, and where that became art? Because there's an art to what you both do. Um, often people sort of don't think having a social media profile is an art, or being in front of the TV as a broadcaster is an art, or writing for a popular magazine as an art, but all of those are, are, are art forms in, in, in their own right, which you both have walked so graciously, might I add. Um, I'm learning, I'm learning. Uh, see me in the corner for social media tips, because I'm crap at it. Um, but, um, at what point did you start to realize that this was beyond your talent and something you had to craft? You know, always. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I felt that huge sense of responsibility because I was always, I was always the black one in the room. You know, that's how I was referred to. Or, you know, even at school at 17, um, I went to a really like a very lovely school, very private, very privileged school. And I remember wanting to apply to Oxford, and my headmistress said, they don't want your kind. And I said, wow. what kind is that? A student, captain of the volleyball team, under 14 fencing champion, which I was. And she said, yes. <laughs> she said you know what I mean. And so at 17, I had that taste of, I'll show you. I know, I'll, be, I'll show you. And then, you know, I have taken that all through my career. And then it, in terms of just like, you know, I thought, you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Who doesn't? <laughs> so I, I would say the first half of my life was lip sync for your life. Mm -hmm. And then the second half is lip sync for your legacy. What am I leaving behind? Mm -hmm. Because I, I need to make this better for my children, for your children, for everybody. I need to kick that door so open, chop down a tree, make our own door and make our own table. Because I have a huge sense of responsibility in that it's like a relay race and I have to run as fast as I can and then I'm going to hand it over and that's and people have run very fast for me and I think you know in my 30s 40s especially in the f past few years a huge sense of responsibility and that's why I did my charity that's it's not a charity it's an education foundation come to it now allow us allow us allow us <laughs> At, at what point when you were in front of, I guess, a more diverse audience, did you start to think about honing your craft, your art? Um, I would say it was when I began to receive messages. So I started out on social media and I didn't even know that you could follow strangers. I just was there with my mom and my best friend and, and that was it. And then. I was breastfeeding my first daughter and I realized that I, I, I want to look good, but there's nothing for me. So I started making my own clothes and sharing those pictures. And people were like, oh my God, I love that. Like, I need that as well. 
can you make me one? And, and it kind of became like a small business and lots and lots of mums would begin to follow and ask me to do the same thing. And then I realised me sharing my journey, me being who I am, I, I didn't ask anyone to like follow along or anything like that. I just kind of did what I was doing and what I enjoyed and realising that I'm, my presence, my voice, my life experience is, is helping people, it's changing their journeys. And being a big breastfeeding advocate and hearing people say, you know, I would have stopped in those first few weeks, those first few days, I would have stopped at six months and you just sharing your story allowed me to keep going. And me realizing, okay, like if I am strategic with this, then I can share specific messages and I can empower people in ways that I've empowered myself. So yeah, I would say it started quite early on, quite early on. I think um, this is the part in the show where I start to give flowers because I like to do that because you know you guys have done some incredible things. So I am going to read now because the list is long. Um, from, goodness, Good Morning Britain, CNN, Vogue, Glamour, Guardian, Financial Times, Telegraph, award-winning journalist, award-winning, uh, many awards, please, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the point being is that we often sometimes are grafting away in, in our little corners. And one of the inspirations for me starting the show was about bringing the conversations that I have in private to the fore, but also celebrating each person's achievement for us, because your work, both of you, has been a win for us. I remember um, growing up in the UK um, a few years ago, not too long ago, that being African was not cool. And we all faced some version of xenophobia um, for being African. And it's incredible now that my daughter lives in a time where the woman King exists, Black Panther exists, Afro Beats is the music you can hear when you walk into rooms. And it's not something that you have to hide um, I remember at one point you had to immerse yourself in Caribbean culture if you were black, you know, you had to know the latest bashment tunes, you knew how to whine and TikTok. Um, and those influences were seen on the continent too, you know, reggae became a thing. And transitioning from the 70s into that space, there was something about the activism and advocacy around the 70s where African nations were liberating themselves from colonialism. And then there was this period of assimilation. And somehow both of you have found a way to de-assimilate within your work. What would you say has been the biggest driver for that? Just to truly believe that you're enough and that all the quirky, wonderful, nerdy, geeky things that make up who I am is enough. And, you know, I hate people putting labels on me. I've had labels all my life. People put, trying to box me in and you can't box me in. It's like, it's just not possible. Every time you think I'm one thing, I'm something else. Do you know what I mean? And it never made, you know, I think I'm a very, very sensible person and things just didn't make sense to me. 
and I'm going to do something about it. That's my nature. Dr. Ate Jewel, guys. <laughs> um, becoming Dr. Ate Jewel, you know, my, my parents have this thing they repeat to me every time they talk, yeah, wasting your talents. You can do more, more. <laughs> I'm like, a master's is not enough. I'm done studying. Um, but for every African parent, that is their dream, that every child that they've ever birthed in every household becomes a doctor. You've been able to achieve that. I tell you a story. Because my mum is from Trinidad, and I was, you know, I was brought up by her. My dad's Nigerian. And I remember I was honoured with this doc the honorary doctorate for media to honour my career across writing, broadcasting. I also had a production company. And my mum always was very liberal arts. She's like, make your hobby your job. So I was very blessed to have that parent say, you know, my dad was lawyer, doctor, engineer. Yeah. <laughs> he said to me, you're funny, you can talk, be a lawyer. That was, he, that, was, that, that was him trying to be like, you're creative, be a lawyer, you can talk. And um, so I was very, I had both messaging, but I always just did what I felt was right for me. And so when I got honoured with a, a, an honorary doctorate at, at Solent University, I was very emotional. I really wanted to do a PhD, but I couldn't afford it. I had to just crack on and get on with my career. And I took my daughters, who were, they were little, it was 20, 2018, and I saw my daughter Adana crying. And I, I was looking at my husband going, it's right. Like, <laughs> and afterwards she said, this is the one who called me an old grey lady. She cried and she went, I'm just so proud of you. And it just broke my heart. That's so sweet. And I want to be a parent to her where it's like, whoever you are, whoever you want, whatever you want to do, you do you, you do hard. And then ironically, full circle, I got the doctorate anyway. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. As sprinkles. <laughs> Cherry on the top. Shanine, first class. English, English literature. Woo! Put some respect on that name. <laughs> um, and you arriving at a place where you're self-published, four books, not an easy feat. Um, and you've now found yourself behind and in front of the camera. How, how did that land with your family and in, in your episode you talk about part of part of your journey and, and your aspirations. But with people around you, how did it land with them when you were taking your passion and turning it into a job? I would say everybody just was really excited to see what would happen because I am the sort of person that, let's say you're sitting on a ship in Turkey and you can see someone who wants to jump off into the sea and they look a bit nervous, so you go to help them. And then when people who know you says, oh, look, Shanine's up there, she's not going to jump, and you hear that, you're like, you think I'm not going to You think that I can't do this? And then you jump, and it literally is the most scary and most amazing experience in your life. That, that actually happened, and that, is, that one experience has just stuck with me because anytime anybody has made a suggestion that I can't do something or that I shouldn't do something, I'm literally like, I'm all over that thing now because you're not going to tell me that I can't do something. Like, that's, yeah, that's, that's what drives me. And my family were just, I want to say supportive in that because they always are kind of just like express yourself and be free, so. 
how much has the support of friends and family played in your roles in, in your work, especially with the vulnerability you both share openly? How much has that influenced your work? Hugely, in positively and negatively, you know? Like, you know, no blame or judgment, but our parents grew up in a time of like, don't air your dirty laundry. And I remember writing an article about, I gave myself type 2 diabetes because of my sugar and everything. And I wrote, and the harsh, my harsh daughter, when she was three, said, why is your tummy so big? And I was like, chocolate and trauma, honey. And, I <laughs> <laughs> and my mum was like, don't write these things. People will think you're a sad, sad woman. And I, I won an award for that article. And it was such a, it was such a liberation that the more vulnerable and the more open you are, it's actually the stronger you are. It doesn't make you weaker. And so, you know, I had, I deprogrammed from that messaging, but then also my friends and my husband, who we've been together since I was 19, we practically grew up together. He's taught me a lot about power. And he's, he used to say to me all the time, Ate, you're a lion, but you act like a little kitten. <laughs> and you stop it, stop, be the lion you are, you know? And, He's like, step into your power. And he's like a huge cheerleader and a huge, you know, just a huge supporter. So I think both are really necessary, the, the, the positive and the negative. And like, who am I? What do I want? It doesn't make me a sad woman talking about these things. It makes me a liberated woman because it's a problem shared or aired. And if I can help one person, and I had so many people respond to me. And every time I'm very vulnerable and I say the, my truth, I, and people DM me, hundreds of people, it, it, it is helping, like you said. I think it helps people to be themselves. Yeah. Shanine, you shared this in, in your episode that your vulnerability was one of the things you loved the most about yourself. Yeah. How has that served you in a, professional, in a professional way? It served me in a professional way just knowing that who I am, as I am, the way that I show up is enough. It's enough professionally, it's enough creatively, it's enough as a mom at home, it's enough as a woman in the world, it's enough as a writer, it's, it's just enough. And it doesn't have to be that I am qualified to give the advice that I give or I'm, I'm qualified by life, I'm qualified by my own experience. And knowing that when I speak, it impacts people's hearts and mind and that my intention is always from a place of either connection and just solidarity, like you're not alone, I know that I'm not alone. Because one thing that I have realized is whenever I've shared it something, like you were just saying, Ate, people will always come back and say, me too. Like, I, I'm, you were so brave to share that, but now I feel like I have someone to talk to. And it just feels like a second way of being, like, not a second way of being. I was going to say a second skin, but that is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> it just feels so natural now to just be vulnerable. And that's why I love it so much about myself, because it just comes out quite freely. But usually when it's kind of reciprocated, you know? You know. I know my personal programming growing up was hide yourself. Mm. You know, don't stand out too much. Um, because standing out, in, in some cases, um, I learned early on, actually, that competency can be offensive to people um, and, and that was really hard for me to navigate when I discovered that I, I was in my teens and I can tell I can remember the exact point where I realized that my ability to pick up something new and, and, and do well at it could be offensive to someone who was trying really hard 
And I always thought that it wouldn't be something that would offend anyone because it was just me being me. And then someone comes up to you and takes offense to something that you perhaps had not considered. And navigating beyond that in my career, there's always that voice that sits behind where we're afraid of what anyone else would say or what people would think. What if I failed? Um, and there's something in owning your, so your story, your authenticity, that then traverses this interesting line between activism and advocacy. And you both have stood at the forefront of lots of issues when it, when it comes to problems that real people have, that all of us probably at some point have faced. You know, you're both fearless mothers and the internet has heard your lionesses <laughs> roar <laughs> loud and clear on, on several issues. At what point did your work start to turn into, and Ate, you, you touched on this earlier, that it became a legacy for you. At what point did you start to understand that your work was a vehicle for that? And, and at what point was it activism, and at what point was it advocacy? Such an interesting question. Um, I think getting older, I'm 44, it's not old, but you are not 22. Halfway there, halfway there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think being a mother and making things better for them. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, it took so many years for, you know, we didn't even have the language of what, what's a microaggression? Mm. That's just woman giving me attitude in a shop. Like, you know, and I remember my husband saying- Didn't like my face. Yeah, I remember my husband saying, you know, you need to say something, not for you, but so when the girls are 15, 16, she knows not to mess. Yeah. And for the next person who comes in. And it is that sense of, and like also it gives you um, such a cloak of power. It's such an armor because it's not personal. I'm just helping the person who's coming through the door after me getting her cappuccino with this racist woman, you know? <laughs> and so taking that attitude into my work, into everything I'm doing, I just think, just be more, being more me was enough. Mm -hmm. And that took a long time to realize that, you know, in a world where being me wasn't, wasn't rewarded, mm -hmm. there were many jobs. I've never been a beauty director. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I, I've never been front of house. Do you know what I mean? I was always, I always felt like I was, I was the mammy pulling the corset to make other people look good. And that's why I went freelance at 23, because I was like, I'm just going to twirl away and be me. And I worked extremely hard for all those titles to prove it's not me, it's you. <laughs> and yeah. Shanine, for you, activism, advocacy? I believe that my joy is activism. As a black woman, to be joyful, to be colorful, to be confident, that is my form of activism. And I mean, I dress the way that I do for myself because it makes me feel good. I'll wake up and I'll just be like, 
we need to put some clothes on. And then it just changes everything. But as I walk down the road and I see these young girls and they're always like, one girl just upstairs ran out of the restaurant that I was in and she was like, oh, my friend was a bit scared, but she just wanted to say she loved your outfit. And I was like, I love your bravery and your courage. And I love you. Like, tell your friend that she's amazing as well. And it's just little moments like that mm -hmm. where I haven't had to say anything. I haven't had to write a post. I haven't had to do anything. But my, my presence, my existence, who I am, mm -hmm. just walking down the road or being in a restaurant is enough for someone to, to experience some sort of joy. Yeah. So I would say that my existence is my... Act sorry, my joy, my existence is my activism. Amazing. Uh, for those listening, I will describe Shanine's outfit. She is a burst of pink, accessorized with a bit of gold and some crystals. Um, but I think, you know, if you ask every little girl what her favorite color is, she would say pink. Uh, if you ask my daughter, pink, purple, orange, sometimes it changes, maybe blue this week, next week it'd be something, yesterday it was something else. Um, and we, we soon learn, especially as, you know, Africans or African diaspora in, in the Western world, we, we learn to tone it down quite early on. We learn that our bright colors can be offensive. Um, it becomes a derogatory mark, so to speak. And, you know, all it takes is go to an African wedding and those colors are bursting and it looks good on us. And I wonder at what point um, within our, our culture and, and growing influences now when we think of music and fashion, and inspiration coming from the continent that's now fueling global trends. At what point, and we've seen on the runway, lots, lots of our influences taking hold. I, I wonder at what point that ownership of our flair becomes, as you say, who you are, who you are, that flair becomes activism. Because if you think about what activism actually is, it's a belief in something. But our share identity seems to be translated into activism. And how we use it becomes a fine art. Do you guys have any thoughts on why that might be? Totally. I mean, I love history. I studied history. And I love beauty and the beauty industry because it's all about power. What I'm really interested in is power. Just, you know, <laughs> like, whether it's through politics or like our beauty standards. And what is the color of power? Traditionally, it's gray which is why mama was an old gray lady <laughs> for 20 years. You know, if you go to parliament, it's gray suits. It's, it's, it's middle-aged white men in gray suits. And that is what people saw as powerful and aligned with power. And I think, honestly, social media and having the gatekeepers, old gatekeepers removed. So, you know, before social media, I had to go and sort of beg, could I please write something about deeper skin tones? Can I write about coils or curls, no, 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 it's not luxurious, it's not aspirational, and what can I do with that? I had nowhere to put it. And then, you know, social media happened, Team Natural Hair moved, like, basically millions and millions of people could say no 
this is not the default setting. We are also the default setting. We are center. And honestly, I think it's social media and where all keepers, you, you know, you could go on and become an influencer, have more numbers than a traditional magazine and more eyeballs and more everything. It's the, the power shifts. So you feel comfortable being yourself. Shanine, that's your 100% playground. Your, your career exploded with um, your social media presence. I love your memes. Are they called memes or sketches? What do you call them? Skits. I, I, like Skits. I, I quite like them. Yeah, like no. literally, I look forward to a new one. If you don't follow her, honestly, you really should. Um, she puts a lot of effort into them. Um, but they're so true to life. And you shared earlier about breastfeeding and being open about that journey on there. But you share about lots of other things on there. One being your mental health. And oftentimes we don't speak openly about what the price of success is for us as black people. The flip side of Dr. Ate Jewel or Shanine, Sally, who's on the tube. Has anyone seen her, her picture on the tube with her boob out? Um, she's, she's that girl, if you ever wondered who she was. Um, and there's a price to pay. We don't often talk about it. I, I remember the first time, I'll speak about my experience actually, the first time I confronted that my mental health was being tested at the risk of me trying to build Africa's first global beauty brand. And that for me was a slap in the face. The first time I hired someone who, who I found out was racist. Now, I was paying someone to look down on me. And there are several instances I'm sure both of you would have experienced in your career. For you, where you speak openly, Shanine, about, I'm not feeling great today. Today is not my day. And you kind of walk us through some of those dark days on social media. If, if, if anyone is looking for a frank and open um, example of someone waking up and saying, not, not me today, definitely not gonna win, not even gonna attempt winning, um, you do that. But I think with the satire that it comes with, I think oftentimes we don't hear why you were pushed into that space. And would I be right in saying that's the price of success? Because the more, peop more eyeballs, mm. yeah. the more chances there are of... Yeah. I would say, for, in terms of my mental health and my career online, I've been quite lucky and it's always been very supportive. And if I've ever said anything like I'm not feeling, <laughs> I'm just not feeling anything today, there would be either people saying me too or, you know, you know, sending you love. But there have been a few instances where somebody will make an accusation or somebody would take what I'm saying offensively and then I've gone away and pondered it again and again and wondered and pondered and thought, is it this? Should I have said that? And that repetition of what somebody else is dealing with in my mind, that's never going to sit right. And if, if I've ever been in a situation like that for too long and I just begin to feel like I want to quit social media, I speak about it. 
because for me, that's my way out of it, just being in my head. And when I speak about it, usually, again, there's lots of love sent, lots of support. And it's just a really beautiful, like, recycled sort of cycle. <laughs> yeah. You remember that BT ad, It's Good to Talk? Um, that's kind of like my mantra when it comes to anything. If I have an idea, I just start talking about it. It might happen, might not happen, but who cares? Because actually, I realize that the people who make stuff happen talk about it. Um, you're both fearless mums, fearless. And raising, we're all raising girls actually, um, of different ages. Uh, and what's interesting about becoming a mother for me has been realizing that at times I have to choose between my career and being a mother. And that decision making, I don't think is something that everyone understands until you become a mother who is trying to have it all, as they say. Ate, you've had a, a long career, a long having to put yourself at events, evenings, mornings. How have you found the space to still own your voice alongside mothering? It's really hard. Like, you know, when you figure out, call me, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I say to my children, here's a fiver for your therapy in the future. Like, <laughs> mummy loves you, let me build up that therapy fund. But, um, it's not easy, but I remember speaking to, um, I went to Vivamaya for a, like, a press, like a press thing, like a health farm, and I spoke to um, this amazing doctor, and she said, oh, tell me all the plans. Well, I'm launching my own beauty range, I'm doing this, I want to write a book, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, oh, that's really great, but none of that's going to happen if you're dead and you don't look after yourself. And I was like, that was so shocking to me. And then she also said something. She said, children never listen to you, but they watch you. And I, that blew my mind. And what kind of women do I want my daughters to be? I want them to be ferocious. I want them to be fulfilled and purposeful and driven and kind and in service to their community. And if I can't be that, how am I going to teach them to do it? Yeah. So it's that fine balance of being an example and, you know, it's not easy. I'm learning. Um, I'm getting more balance. I'm meditating. One of the best things ever, I have the Calm app and I do a daily meditation or a few meditations a day to calm myself down instead of the chocolate. And I was lying in bed and I was meditating and I could hear my husband downstairs going, Ate, Ate. And I heard my daughter Adana say, Shh, mum is meditating. It's her quiet time. And I thought, what a beautiful lesson that is for my daughter. Make space for yourself. Calm it down, Dad. <laughs> mum's, mum's, mum's healing upstairs. So I don't know. It's very difficult, but I'm trying to be a good mother in being a good ate. Does that make sense? Amazing, amazing. Shanine has a skit where she shuts the door and sends the kids away. If only it was like that in real life. <laughs> um, but there's something about your candidness with with mothering, and as Black African women, specifically, we are judged not just by our career achievements. We're also judged by how good a wife we are, but also how good a mother we are. And that measure is the success of our children. And as Ate has mentioned, I often ask myself, 
what does success look like for me? And not just me as a person, but also me in the context of being a mother. What, what would that be for you, Shanine? I would say, if it wasn't winter and I was a bit happier right now, <laughs> this would be success for me. Because I feel like I'm at a, just a really good place and I do have a hard time trying to find balance or when it's like, oh, I've got to go and do this or be here. And the girl's like, no, mum, please stay. And I'm like, okay, just for one more second. Okay, I've still got to go. And it's, it's really, really hard to be able to pull myself away from that. But I am a massive self-love advocate. And I feel like in order for you to truly love yourself and to teach your kids how to love themselves, you have to know yourself. And I know I need freedom and I, I need my own space. And I need to be creative and I need to use my voice. So I actively pursue that. And they see me pursuing it. And as you were saying, when your daughter was saying, no, mummy's meditating upstairs, that's exactly the little voices that I'd hear. Oh, no, mummy's meditating, don't touch her. Like, I'll just be in, in their room while they're playing. And the, the kind of squabbling. And I won't open my eyes. And then one of them will come and sit next to me and start meditating too. And it just truly is the most beautiful thing. Um, and all of last month, I was doing 6 a.m. lives, good vibe lives, just waking up with everyone and just getting in there with some good energy. And uh, Bola would sometimes log in. He's, he's my husband. Um, he'd sometimes log in. And one morning, Jasmine, who is my eldest daughter, woke up early. And as soon as I'd finished, she burst into my room. And she was just like, Mom, I just saw you. That was awesome. And she ran and gave me a hug. And I was like, you think you think I'm awesome like your your opinion matters more than anybody else's and it's those little moments where I'm like I'm gonna keep doing what I'm gonna do even if they're not happy with me in the moment because in the long run in the grand scheme of things the bigger picture if I if I pursue what I need for myself for, for Shanine instead of mum they're gonna get to see what it looks like to live a balanced life as a woman as a well as a child before they become a woman but you know <laughs> amazing um Quick fire questions now. I love these. What keeps you up at night, Ate? Instagram. <laughs> scrolling. <laughs> scrolling. She keeps on scrolling. Um, I'm quite... <laughs> I have a very addictive personality. Yeah. And I'm, I don't sleep... I don't, you know what? I'm very... I don't sleep because I'm, I don't like to power down. Mm. And it's that thing of how do you, you know, someone, you know, I've, I've surrounded myself with healers. There's so many, the, indus, the beauty industry is full of healers, really. Mm. And one of my friends, Nahid, was like, resting is one of the most productive things you can do. Mm. But I'm like a, I, I find it hard to power down, not through fear, just because my mind is busy and there's always something, there's another email, there's always something to do. Mm. So I stay up because I wanted to get more stuff done. Mm. Shanine, last thing you search for on Google. Um, what was the? You always ask me these really hard, basic questions. What? Probably how to get here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite thing about what you do, Ate? Uh, the sense of community, and feeling that I just want to make things a little bit better in my way, if I can. Shanine, three book recommendations you have for our listeners. Okay, the book that changed my life, The Alchemist. Um, has anybody read that? Yeah, that book is incredible. Um, so that's my first one. 
Um, Solidarity, Poetry and Prose by myself. Um, <laughs> shameless plug. Yeah, but I would say it's, yeah, it's, it's great uh, for understanding motherhood. And just as I am like in my online presence in that book is very real, very authentic. So if you're not yet a mom, if you are a mom, I just think having that book will be a game changer. And then my last book recommendation... Mm, I want it to be good. I, I want to say The Power of Now. That's another book that was life-changing. I'm seeing some nodding. Has anybody else read The Power of Now? Yes, 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 yeah. There's my book. Amazing. Now, the question everyone who's probably clicked on this episode wants to know is how do you make money from using your voice? Collaboration deals. Um, it's it's a beautiful thing to be paid to do your hobby. And that's what my mum told me, make your hobby your job and you never feel like you're working. So for me, it's, you know, collaboration deals. Um, what else is there? Like I'm launching my own brand, uh, you know, writing. It's, it's using the things that I'm really good at and just making, commercializing everything, basically. Yeah, I'd say the same. Um, I'd say mostly brand partnerships um, would be the main way. And then speaking would be another one. And, you know, if you clicked on this um, episode and you want to know, I would say just look at yourself, look at what you love and what you would talk about for free all day long. What can you talk about for free? Because it fills you up with so much joy and you just wouldn't stop unless someone's like, you're talking a bit too much. And use that. Let that be your starting point and use that and speak and do it for free. And then eventually you'll get people, you'll build a community and you'll begin to get paid for talking about what you love. Amazing. Where can people find you? At Shanine Sally. That's C-H-A-N-E-E-N-S-A-L-I-E-E -E -E on Instagram and everywhere. Amazing. Ate? Um, at Ate Jewel. A-T-E-H-J-E-W-E-L. Instagram. Twitter everywhere as well and at ajulbeauty.com. Amazing. If you aren't subscribed to the show, please hit the subscribe button. We are now also on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you to Shanine. Thank you to Ate. Thank you to Soho Friends, Brixton Studios for having us in person. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>